Good morning, church. Uh, today we have three Bible week readings. Uh, the first is from uh, the book of Ezekiel. Uh, so turn with me to the book of Ezekiel as we start uh, chapter 1, verse 1. In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Trebar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of the king Jehoiachin. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Chabar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually. And in the midst of the fire, as it were gleaming metal, and from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. The legs were straight, and the soles of the feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on the four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. The wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And the wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures darted to and fro, like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl, and the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being as it were a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went, and the rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them, and when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went, and when those stood, these stood, and when those rose from the earth, these wheels rose along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal, spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another. And each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of the wings, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings, and there came a voice from the expanse over their heads, 
When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Uh, today's second Bible reading is from uh, the letter of John. Uh, so turn, to me, uh, turn with me to John uh, 1, verses 1 to 5, and also verse 14. Uh, commencing from verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Our final reading from today is from the book of Hebrews. Uh, so turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, uh, commencing from verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of God. Uh, thanks for the reading, Alan. It looks like you're ready for war, um, which is exactly what we're going to be doing as we get into this passage today. Uh, one welcome to everyone here, uh, SLE Church Second Service, uh, relaunched for the second week. It's great to see everyone here. We've also got about 20 people, roughly, downstairs. So if you're downstairs, shout out. Okay, can't quite hear you. Okay, you got to shout louder. Um, but yeah, so um, it's great to have everyone back. Uh, the first service is slightly smaller. There's probably about 15 uh, availabilities in the first service. Uh, so um, yeah, it, it's a great turnout um, in our second week back. Uh, and hopefully we'll get used to me- meeting together again, uh, and we'll uh, enjoy being able to uh, meet people around us uh, with the science seating. You'll be meeting someone different, hopefully, um, every week. Now, if you are um, uh, a couple or a family and you like to meet other people, I guess the, the hint there is to sign up at different times. Obviously, if you sign up together with your family members or your husband or wife or your housemates, you'll end up always sitting together. So if you do want to venture out a little bit, uh, maybe think about signing up uh, maybe a few hours apart or a, few, a couple of days apart. That will help you to be able to meet some other people. Um, for those of you who are new to SLE Church, well, one welcome to you here today. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm the senior pastor of the church. Uh, I pastor the church along with Steve, who is still officially on leave today, even though he's here with Steph. Uh, do keep praying that the final 12, 
hours of holidays. It will be restful uh, because uh, he'll be worked hard when he comes back tomorrow. And uh, we've had a hard year so far, so um, do pray that um, the final few hours will be restful. Uh, and hopefully it has been with the kids at school and you guys at home. All right, we've finished a sermon series in our mission, values, and vision. Uh, and we are beginning a new sermon series in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, I was going to put the end of last week's sermon on vision, how our vision actually is played out in the different activities, in all the activities and events uh, of our church. But I didn't put it in last week's sermon because it's too long. But I did want to speak into why is it that we preach uh, a book like Ezekiel. Right, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, it's pretty difficult, uh, as you'll see. Uh, remember, our vision is to be a church right, that uh, is a prayerful, Christ-centered community that proclaims the gospel to unbelievers and grows disciples of Jesus Christ. So let me explain quickly right, why our sermons, especially a sermon like this, fits into that vision. Firstly, it causes us to be prayerful because you can't understand uh, the Bible, let alone Ezekiel, without actually asking God for help. Right? So it, it, it shows us that to go to God's word, we need to ask him to speak to us. It's Christ-centered because we'll show you that Ezekiel, like the rest of the Old Testament, actually points us and prepares us for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Our preaching has to show that it is Christ-centered. And obviously, in, in, the, in the preaching of God's word, it binds us as a community as we listen together, especially now with the relaunch of us all being back together, sitting under the same word of God uh, each week. We proclaim the gospel to unbelievers because even in Ezekiel, in a book which sounds so strange, it actually contains the gospel. So as I preach a Christ-centered message from Ezekiel, uh, if you're here seeking for Christian faith, seeking to know Jesus, you will be able to find something out about the gospel and about Jesus and come to trust in him. And finally, of course, it grows disciples of Jesus Christ. In doing a book like this, we're going away from kind of the milk, uh, the baby food of uh, Christian teachings into some of the more mature foods. And so we will cover difficult books of the Bible because we want to grow our understanding of God in a mature way. And that's how preaching a sermon through a sermon series through Ezekiel fulfills our vision. Okay, hopefully that will actually happen all right, in the next 12 weeks as we cover the book of Ezekiel. Now, for today, please keep your Bibles open to Ezekiel. Uh, and if you haven't got an outline of the sermon on your tablet, phone, or in front of you, you can put your hand up. I think, are there any more bulletins and outlines left, host team? Yes, if you need one, just raise your hand and wave, and then uh, Marilyn will come in and bring you one. It will help for you to follow along the outline as we go through the sermon. Uh, as Marilyn does that, uh, please join me in prayer as I ask God to help us to understand and to respond to his word. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks that you are indeed almighty and glorious, and that you so gloriously reveal yourself to us as we uh, listen to uh, um, this vision of your glory here in Ezekiel 1, uh, please prepare us to hear your message that you have to speak to us in judgment and in hope, which ultimately points us to the great gospel, the glorious Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, first, a couple of quick questions to get us started. Who here has read the book of Ezekiel from beginning to end at least once? You can put a half hand up so you're not too proud, right? Half hand. Okay, a few. All right. For those of you who have read it, who has actually studied it? Keep your hands up. Studied it? Huh? Okay, I've got no more questions left to ask. Well, I've asked you who understands most of it. Well, obviously nobody, right? Uh, it is a really strange and a really difficult book, right? If you were to skim through it maybe today or in the next coming days and read through the whole of it, uh, you will notice that it is a very difficult book to read and understand. 
Uh, it contains in it uh, quite a few visions, uh, which are really very strange. Uh, you will see that Ezekiel is told to perform some actions. that You kind of go, well, that's weird. Why would God make Ezekiel do those things? And what do they mean? As you read through the book, you will see that the language and the style and the issues, the analogies that are used, uh, they're all very difficult to, to, to kind of read and understand. I think it's probably the most difficult of the prophets, the major and the minor prophets. It's probably the, the most difficult of the Old Testament books, unless you hate poetry, and then Ecclesiastes is the most difficult, right? So why preach a 12-week sermon series in the book of Ezekiel when it's so hard? Well, first and foremost, I think it's God's Word. Uh, maybe not first and foremost, but the first reason is because it is God's Word, and it has something to say to us. God has put Ezekiel into the Bible to speak to us a message that we need to hear. The second thing is that if we can understand a hard book, then uh, we, if we can learn to understand a hard book, then we can easily, more easily read the easier books, isn't it? So there's a, there's a benefit in doing the hard yards uh, in the book of Ezekiel. In, in terms of Ezekiel itself, though, there's a very particular thing that Ezekiel wants to tell us, right? It, it's a refrain, there's a re repetition of a phrase that happens throughout the book of Ezekiel to read it. And the refrain is this, is this, is this. Man, that doesn't work. Where's my technology? Okay, uh, that you may know that I am the Lord. That you will know, that you may know that I am the Lord. He keeps repeating it all the way through the book. I guess the point is that we may know through the book of Ezekiel who the Lord is better. And in knowing him, to know how to respond to him. So this book causes us to know God better. And so there's a great reason to study the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, the major themes of the book, as you clearly see, is the themes of judgment and hope. And Ezekiel is telling us that in judgment and in hope, we will know the Lord. Right? We will know the Lord through judgment and hope. And all that is revealed in Ezekiel, like the rest of the Old Testament, points us to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our understanding and our appreciation of the great gospel of Jesus Christ will be expanded, will be enlarged by the hard work that we put into understanding Ezekiel. Because Ezekiel, like the rest of the Old Testament, points us to Jesus. So there are great reasons for why we should study this book of Ezekiel. Now the first three reasons, uh, the, three, first three reasons the first three verses of the book of Ezekiel gives us the setting, right, the situation for the book. So let's look through this pretty quickly. Right? First of all, we were told that these are visions. Right? The book of Ezekiel contains visions that are given to Ezekiel. We're told that Ezekiel comes from a priestly family, right? He comes from a line of priests, which means that he will be a priest one day. Now, in verse 1 of Ezekiel chapter 1, we are told that the visions began in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, which if you translate the Jewish calendar to our modern Gregorian calendar, is probably July 31st, right? Coming up in a few days' time will be the anniversary of when uh, Ezekiel first started receiving these visions. 30th year of what isn't told to us, but I think it most likely refers to his year of birth, right? 30th year of his life. Because traditionally, that's when priests began their ministry, right? Strangely enough, Steve and I both began pastoring SLE Church at 30. So we're in good company. We're the right age. We're not too young, no matter what anyone thinks, all right? Um, okay, so uh, where are we up to? So 30th year of his year, July 31st. In verse 2, we are told that the, the same, the same date is the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. Right, the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. Now, we know that the fifth year of the exile to Babylon, because Jehoiachin was uh, exiled to Babylon, was in 593 BC. 
because the first year of exile was 597 BC. And BC is strange because you've got to go negative, right? So 597 is the first year, 593 is the fifth year. So in 593 BC, on July the 31st, that is exactly almost 2,614 years ago, Ezekiel received the visions recorded in this book. Now, the last dated vision in Ezekiel is in Ezekiel 29, which is the 27th year of exile. So for 22 years, Ezekiel received these visions and these words from God. His entire ministry of 22 years was done in exile in Babylon. And so it's crucial that we understand what is this exile in Babylon and why is it so important. Now, some of you may know, some of you may not. So a very quick one-minute history lesson, right? The Babylonian Empire reigned supreme right, from 606 to 536 BC. They took over uh, from the, uh, the, the Greeks before them, sorry, the, the Egyptians before them, and then after them came uh, the, the, the Syrians, Persians, Medians, right? They, they came after them. So a big empire at the time. And, and part of the strategy for Babylon in conquering the world was that they would come into a city like they did with uh, Israel, Judah, and Jerusalem being the city, and they would basically conquer the city, and then exile them and bring them back into Babylon, right? Make, basically make them good Babylonian citizens. And this is exactly what happened, right, to Jerusalem in 597 BC, right? They were exiled uh, into Babylon. They were stripped out, right, from the promised land that God had gave to his people. Their, their great nation was no longer a nation because they were a captured nation, and the great blessing that was promised to them was now a curse, the exile to Babylon was really the final big, big act of judgment in the Old Testament, right? The final big act of judgment after a long series, right, of, of, of minor judgments, right, relatively minor judgments uh, to a people who continued to be stubbornly rebellious and sinful. Right? God gave them chance after chance after chance. He showed them love and compassion. He gave them instruction and warnings, he allowed them to suffer more minor judgments along the way. He even made Israel, the northern nation, go into exile by the Assyrians. But still Judah, Jerusalem, the Jews, they did not respond. And finally, they were exiled to Babylon. But you wonder whether the people of God, the people of Judah, actually really understood what happened to them. Right? Maybe they were like children. You know, you tell them a warning, don't do that or else, don't do that or else, don't do that or else, and then you, the or else happens. You judge them and you punish them, and it's like, what, what, what did I do? Right? You know, kids do that? You know, maybe that's, that's what they thought, right? Babylon had come in mighty power to conquer them, and, and perhaps the, the Jews thought, you know, maybe it's because God isn't that strong. Right? Maybe the Babylonian gods are just more powerful right, than the God of Israel. Or maybe they were angry at God. Right, perhaps, perhaps they saw that maybe their sin wasn't that bad. Did they really deserve such a harsh treatment from God? Or perhaps in Babylon, the Israelites were in despair. Maybe they thought, has God abandoned us forever? They were supposed to be special people, but has he abandoned me forever? Or perhaps they were in Babylon and they were confused. Like, why is God doing this? Right? What is God doing? Why is God doing What's his purpose? And what is his purpose? Aren't we supposed to be representing him? Why is he doing this? And perhaps they wondered whether there was any reason to hope. Like Psalm 137, if you can read it for yourself, they, they're by the rivers of Babylon and they're crying in despair. Right? They're wondering, maybe that's, that's it, that's it for the people of God, that's it for them. Five years now into exile, and, and it will continue on there for, for 40 years. So, uh, yeah, that's right. 
And so God speaks to Ezekiel through this book. So that, well, not through this book, but through the visions and through the words that are written in this book. He speaks to Ezekiel so that they would understand, so that Ezekiel would understand, so that the people would understand why is it that they have been judged? Why is it that they will continue to be judged? Because we will see that the judgment will continue on for quite some years yet. And then finally, they will understand the hope that still remains for the people of God, and not just for the people of God, but for the entire world, for the entire world. The Lord speaks so that the people of God would know Him they will know his character, they will know his purposes, his ways, in order that the people of God and the world would turn to God in faith and repentance. In faith and repentance. Ezekiel chapter 1, if you look at it, is very reminiscent of Revelation 1, which we covered about three, four months ago now. It's very similar, isn't it? That is to say, it is very, very strange. It's a very strange vision. Uh, I dare you to try and draw out this vision right, on a piece of paper or on some digital device. I have a go. I think you'll find it almost impossible to do so. I did some Google searching, and these are the results that show. Right? You know, this is the kind of uh, pictorial description of the vision. Someone tried to draw it out, and here's another one. This one's kind of cool, kind of scary, kind of strange, isn't it? It's wacky. Right? Ezekiel writes out the vision, and it's all... It almost sounds like a child trying to tell a story. You know, it's always got this full of like. Uh, it was like, you know, it's like, kind of like, you know, sort of like. It's kind of like that, right? And then they don't say much. It's just a lot of this like kind of like. Ezekiel's struggling to properly describe this vision because it is just so indescribable, so magnificent, so glorious, so otherworldly. The vision is a vision of God's indescribable glory. But we get enough of understanding to see that the vision is of the glorious God not staying still, but being active. Right? He's furiously active, and he's powerfully present. And as we look into some of the detail, we'll see that it's also very ominous. It's an ominous vision with a ray of hope. It is dark with a burst of light. We'll see that in a moment. It's a vision that prepares Ezekiel and prepares us to listen up, to listen to the words of the Lord that he's about to speak from chapter 2, verse 1 onwards. Okay, let's get into it, right? Point 2, the vision of God's glory. The vision is full of strange elements and details, but it is ultimately about the glory of God, right? It's about, it's about the glory of God because the vision, it builds up, it builds up to the climax of verse 28b, which is, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, Right, all the details right, and all the imagery from verses uh, 4 to 28a is preparing us for the big reveal right, of God in His glory. And we see in this vision three main elements. Okay? So uh, from, in verse 4, we see the windstorm, and then we see the creatures that come out of that windstorm. The next big element is the wheels that are beneath the creatures. And then finally, we see above the creatures an expanse, and then above that, the throne, and then, of course, finally, the Lord God seated on that throne. Okay, we'll go through those uh, big, big elements in a moment. But all together, it's a picture, right, a vision of the divine warrior, divine warrior charging onto the scene on his chariot. Okay, it's a picture of the divine warrior charging onto the scene on his chariot. And we'll see that in a moment as I explain. Now, the first thing that Ezekiel sees in verse 4 sets up the atmosphere 
right, for the arrival of the one on the throne. Uh, back in the 80s and 90s, uh, when dry ice was all the rage, right, it was used at every wedding, wasn't it? If you guys have been to a, an, a, an 80s or 90s wedding, they will put the dry ice on and then you'll get this billowing uh, cloud-like effect. It's so the bride comes in as if she was walking on clouds, right? Uh, so it's a preparation, an atmospheric preparation for the arrival of the, the bride. But here we have something even more dramatic, an even greater atmosphere, right? The stormy wind, a great cloud, flashes of fire. Now, if you know your Old Testament and if you know Revelation 1, then you'll know that these are cosmic signs that indicate, that signal the divine presence, the divine coming. We see this at Mount Sinai, right? Top of Mount Sinai, we see it in Revelation 1 and the vision there. But then we put this kind of vision of the divine presence along with a picture of a chariot that we'll see in the next few verses. It's actually a picture of a divine warrior that is shown to us in Psalm 18. So I'm going to read a bit of Psalm 18 out to you. He, the Lord, bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. It's a picture of a divine warrior coming with the wind and the clouds, the fire, riding his chariot of cherubs charging in. That's the vision that we see. The question is, what is he charging in to do? What does the warrior come to do? Is he, is he coming to rescue? Or is he coming to judge and to destroy? What kind of warrior will he be? Now, if you notice carefully in verse 4, he charges in from the north, doesn't he? You remember what, what happened in the north before for the people of God? It was the Babylonians that came in from the north to conquer them. And in fact, we're told in, in prophecies in Isaiah and other places, behind the Babylonian is God, the Lord God who's using the Babylonians as a tool of judgment. It's an ominous sign that this chariot is blowing in, charging in from the north. It's an ominous sign. Now, in the midst of this windstorm, then Ezekiel sees the four creatures who act as kind of thrown barriers of the divine warrior, right? They're, they're like thrown barriers. Now, it'd be very easy to get confused and to get kind of too caught up with all of the detail that we see in verses 5 to 14. So let me just point out a few details, hopefully enough for us to appreciate what's going on here. Now, first thing that's really clear is that each creature has four faces, right? They have four faces. Each of the four creatures have four faces, which represents kind of all the created beings. Why? Because we've got the humans, a human face representing all human beings, uh, we've got the lion face, which represents all the wild beasts. We've got the ox face, representing all the herd animals. And then we've got the eagle, representing all the sky animals. So if you're here for Revelation 1, exactly the same kind of faces that expresses the same kind of totality of creation, or at least created animals. Right? So the, the, the symbol of four, if you remember, is very symbolic in prophetic language. Four corners of the world, four winds, four creatures. It's, it's describing... right. Everything that is in the earth. So here we have four creatures with four faces representing all the creatures of the earth. But the big emphasis of these creatures is their movement. 
right? They're psychedelic movement. Notice firstly how they've both got legs and they've got wings, right? They both run and they fly. We're told in, uh, that in verse 6 and 7, right? Legs and wings. And then in verses 9 and 12, we are told that the wings are driving them straight forward without turning. It's like they're on a mission, on a warpath. And then we get to verse 13 and 14, and it's just this blur, right? It's this blur of fiery and furious movement, right? Uh, like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, and all the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. They're like hyperactive kids. They right? can't stop moving. Right? They're like too much caffeine, you know, after the 15th cup of coffee. Right? They're, just, they're just all over the place. Now, this theme of movement continues as the vision zooms in on the wheels. Now, we'll get to the wheels of verse 15 to 21. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, verse 15, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. Now, this is where I find it really hard to picture it, right? You've got these four creatures. They are flying in with the wind and the clouds. And right next to them is a wheel that touches the earth. That is on the earth. Yeah, it's flying, but the wheels are on the earth. What's going on? It must be some massive wheel. And indeed it is, right? Verse 18 tells us that these, the, wheel, the rims of these wheels are tall and awesome. Have you seen those monster trucks that destroy all the puny cars? Like they've got, I don't know, how big, 100 inch, 150 inch wheels. Nothing compared to this impressive rims and wheels that they're rolling in, right, with the chariots, fully decked out, so awesome, gleaming like barrel. But not only that, they're wheels within wheels. Have you seen those uh, big four-wheel drives that kind of rock up to you? They're like the gangster cars. Uh, the tinting is like 100% or something. And then they, they stop, and then the wheels still keep spinning. Have you seen those? Okay, maybe you're not car heads. But, you know, they, it's just cute. It's like, whoa, cool, right? Wheel, wheel in a wheel, right? It, it's, it, it's dynamic. It's, it's moving all the time. Four wheels, remember the four symbolism everywhere, going in all four directions, we're told. It's kind of strange, isn't it? Because the wings are bringing them forward, but the wheels are bringing them everywhere. And then on the wheels, we've got eyes, full of eyes that sees everything. You put it all together, what do you get? What do you get? Well, you get this furious movement. God is not passive. The warrior is not passive. He's moving. He's on the move. Complete coverage over all of the earth, complete sight, all knowing about every single thing that is going on. And so the question is, when the divine warrior comes on the chariot of chariots representing all creatures, when he goes to all places and sees all things, what will he do and what will he see? I'll put it the other way, right? What will he see and then what will he do about what he sees? What will he see in his people? What will he see in the people of Babylon? What will he see in the people of the entire world? And then what will he do about that? What will the divine warrior do about what he sees in all people everywhere? I think you and I know the answer. And we expect the worst. We are right to expect the worst. Anyway, the vision isn't finished yet, right? Let's keep going. We've got the atmospheric signs, the stormy cloud, uh, the stormy wind, the clouds. We've got the vision of the chariot. The whirlwind of furious movement. And now we've got 
above the chariot, we expect to see the, the throne, right? The warrior on the throne. But that's not what we see, funnily enough. Instead, Ezekiel sees an expanse. Now, at this point in time, I think Ezekiel's even finding it harder and harder to describe what's going on here, right? Everything here can only be described as like something, right? like something. Even the expanse is only a likeness of an expanse, verse 22. And then Ezekiel, like a kid with poor vocabulary, is like, it's like, a, it's like awesome, man. It's like, 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 like crystal. And you're like, come on, Ezekiel, give us more. But he doesn't, he can't. Right? This expanse, it's awesome, man, it's like a crystal. Now, above the chariot, basically, it's this awesome space a further separation, a greater kind of a description of holiness, right? of, of glory, before we even get to the throne and then the one that's on it. Now, as the vision builds, we've got sight, uh, we've got the atmospherics, we've got the sight, and now we've got the sound, don't we? Right? The full 4D experience, okay? Uh, verse 24, And then they went, <coughs> and I heard the sound of their wings, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. I can imagine the soundtrack that's going on here, right? That great final battle scene, right? With the, the horse hooves pounding the ground, right? The clang of the metals of the soldiers and their feet. Crying crescendo of sound, and then the creatures stop. Right? They, they lower their wings. There are four wings, two were up, two were already down in front of them, but they lowered their wings so that Ezekiel can see through them, through the chariot, into the expanse and into the throne and into the one on it. But as he looks, a voice booms. And so now he's also straining to understand the message that is being shouted out from on high. Ezekiel finally does get to see the throne after all of this setup. Oh, this preparation, he sees the throne. And once again, it's not a throne, it's just a likeness of a throne. And the one who's seated on this one who is on the likeness of a throne is the one who is the likeness like, of a human. But it's no human that Ezekiel has ever seen before. The upper body is a gleaming metal of fire on fire. The lower body is like fire itself, brilliantly bright, gloriously glowing. It's basically, he's like fire, right? Different kinds of fire, finding a struggling to describe how brilliant it is. And then surrounding this one that's on the throne, the light that shone, shone like the rainbow. Now, I'm not sure if you think about rainbows shining. Uh, usually when we see rainbows, they're usually quite dim. Right? They're very pretty, but they're very faint, aren't they? But here is the brightest rainbow you've ever seen. It's glowing. It's positively, positively glowing as a rainbow. And then finally, after a long and strange but strangely glorious series of visionary scenes, we get to the climax, isn't it? The grand reveal of verse 28b. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. Like so dramatic, yet it's only but appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. If you were to see the full, like, if Ezekiel were to see the full glory of God, he'd just die, right? You can't, you can't cope with that. It's just a likeness. So what's the point? What's the point of this vision? Now, I try to make a big deal. I'll try to explain it in a way that really captures our imagination. But what is the point of this vision? Well, firstly, and most clearly, I think, the point of the vision is to show us the glory of God. Doesn't it? It's to show us that God isn't passive, but unceasingly active. 
He is not absent, but he is present. Can you imagine why that is such an important thing for Ezekiel in exile to see? Why Israel in exile to see? Important why we here today in the 21st century need to see. God is not still. Right? He's active, furiously active in every place of the world. He is powerfully present. No matter what we think and what we feel about the situations in life, He is powerfully present. The Lord God is not some kind of easy, uh, earthly, eviscerated, powerless, or puny God. He's not a God that is stuck in a building in Jerusalem in the temple. He is not stuck in the city of Jerusalem. He is not stuck in the promised land of Judah and Israel. He is not bound by those barriers, which is so unlike all the other gods of that time and even our time. The Babylonian gods, the Egyptian gods, the Assyrian gods, the Chinese gods. They're all stuck, right? You've got a god of this, you've got a god of that, you've got a god of fortune, you've got a god of uh, whatever, the sea, the sky. They're all so limited. The Lord God has no such limits. He is indescribable. He is unbound. He is fearsome. He is all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, and all-conquering. Whatever it is that you and I currently know about God, it is too small. It will ever always be too small because our finite, human, limited, puny minds, no insult, but it's true, can only grasp so much of the great and glorious God. That's not an insult. That's just a humble acknowledgement that we need to grow and grow and grow in our valuing of God's glory. We do not worship God in His glory as much as we ought to. We must never confine God into a box to ever think that He's powerless or absent. I know there are times in life when we can feel that way about ourselves and our situation or about the situation of our family and friends or the world around us. We must never think that He does not know every single moment and every single thing that happens in this world. We must not ever think that He does not know every single moment, every single thought and word and action and feeling that you and I have, that every single person in this world has. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I find this the most comforting as well as the most confronting thing I've ever heard. To know that God is like this is most comforting as well as most confronting. It says to us that we must trust Him and enjoy the comfort of knowing that this is our God, but we must be confronted to respond to Him always with greater and greater honor and worship. Now, in the context of Ezekiel 1, the reason for the reveal of God's glory is to prepare Ezekiel and the readers to listen to his message. Right? This, glory, this, this vision of glory has a particular purpose in Ezekiel, which is to prepare Ezekiel and the readers to hear the message. So, application point B, right? preparing to hear the message. Did you notice that the chapter ends not with a vision, but with a voice? So, have a look at verse 28, Ezekiel 1, 28. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard 
the voice of one speaking. Now, as I've been at pains to say throughout the sermon and throughout this passage, the vision of God is deliberately and necessarily vague. Deliberately and necessarily vague, because God is impossible to uh, clearly define and to describe. Now, the glorious but vague vision is there to prepare us for something far more important. God wants us to do something far more important than to see Him. And what is far more important than to see Him is to listen to Him, right? To listen to God. The vague vision prepared Ezekiel for the clear word that is about to come. And so Ezekiel fell on his face, and he heard the voice of the one speaking. And then from chapter 2, verse 1, he will listen, because God will speak. And then he will continue to listen, and because God will continue to speak. And then once in a while, there will be another vision that will be dropped down in order to prepare him to listen more to what God will say. God gives visual representations, yes, but in vague ways, enough only for us to be prepared to hear what he has to say. Now, we have to be very clear about this, that God very clearly tells us that visual representations of him are never adequate, which is why the visions always have this likeness of an appearance of his kind of like, sort of like, because it's deliberately vague. Right? The second commandment, right? Do not make an idol that represents God. It's not just do not make an idol to worship other gods, but do not make an idol to represent the true God of Israel, the true Lord God of heaven and earth, but you can't. Okay? Instead, God makes it clear that we are to listen to his words. Listen to what Hebrews 1 says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Why? Well, John 1 tells us, isn't it? Because in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. How does God reveal his glory in full? In the Son, in Jesus, who is the word of God become flesh. Now, seeing God's glory was vital for Ezekiel to receive the word of God. Right, it prepared him as he saw the glorious vision of God right, to take with utmost seriously the words that God was about to give to Ezekiel to speak. That he would completely receive the word and then completely respond with faith and obedience to what God said. Now in the same way, we must grow in our evaluation of our Lord Jesus Christ who shows us the full glory of God. As, as we really see the, the, the greatness and the glory of Jesus, then we will take seriously, with utmost seriousness, the word that he speaks to us, so that we would respond with faith and with obedience. And so the question then is, how glorious is Jesus to you? How glorious is Jesus to you? I'm not sure what, when you think of the word Jesus, or when you think of the person Jesus, what comes to mind? Maybe you are a visual person and you think a baby, right? You know, in Mary's arms, right? A very popular and common Catholic picture of Jesus. Or maybe you think of it as Jesus on a cross, right? The, the great symbol, of, in a way, of Christianity. But did you notice that in the Christian churches that Jesus is never on the cross? The cross is empty. 
Or maybe you think of Jesus as a Middle Eastern man walking around, you know, 2,000 years ago, probably around his 30s, a nondescript kind of Jewish man. What's your picture of Jesus? Now, the issue is that we shouldn't picture him. It's not in those ways. Now, these are all true things about Jesus. But the glory of Jesus is seen in what he came to do, right? He came, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. The way that he, he showed the, the character, the nature of God. He came to show the purposes of God. He came to show what it means for him to be God and to be king and to be Christ. That is the glory of Jesus. How much time do we spend trying to shape our minds and hearts towards appreciating more and more how glorious Jesus really is? Because we don't view Jesus more and more highly, more and more greatly, more and more gloriously, then we won't really want to respond to him in faith and in obedience. Something for us to keep working on, isn't it? Now, finally, I want to touch on the picture of judgment and hope that is seen in this opening vision. Right, the final point, knowing the Lord in judgment and hope. <clears throat> now, we see that this vision shows God coming in as the divine warrior, right? As, as king and warrior, he comes to execute judgment. And as we'll see, he comes to do so for very good and very clear reasons why he will judge in the way that he judges. God's people back then needed to know and understand the Lord's judgment. Maybe they had their doubts as to why this was happening to them. Maybe they, were, they, they thought they were just being caught up, you know, in just being bad luck, being born in the wrong place at the wrong time, in the time of the rise of the Babylonian Empire, being caught up in, in geopolitical, uh, military machinations, right? just bad luck. No, God makes it very clear, judgment comes from me. You need to understand this, Israel. You need to understand so that you can respond, so that you will fall down before him like Ezekiel did, and to beg for mercy, and to believe again, and to repent. Now, I think in the same way, we need to understand judgment for the same reasons. Right? We need to understand why God judges, and what we're meant to learn about God as he does so. Now, can I tell you, say to you, this sermon series is 12, sermon series, uh, 12 sermons long. Today is the number one, chapter one. And then for the next eight weeks, from chapter 2 to chapter 33, it'll be all about judgment. I said, you know in advance, okay? Judgment on Judah, Jerusalem, Israel, Babylon, Egypt, Assyria, and then some other nations, right? Eight weeks of judgment. Don't stay home. Come, okay? It's going to be a bit dark. Right? It's going to be a bit stressful. We'll tell a few jokes just to lighten up the mood. Steve will tell the jokes. I'm not really the joke teller. But I'm not going to apologize for that, right? We really need to go into the yuckiness, into the darkness of judgment for us then to be able to come out and see the hope right, that will be gloriously displayed in chapter 34 onwards. The last three sermons is on hope. And there you know, okay, get ready. It's crucial that we understand judgment so that we know the Lord and so that we can be prepared to see hope. And this is where this vision really ends, isn't it? It's not about judgment at the end of this vision. It's a ray of hope. Not just actually not a ray of hope. It's like a blast of hope. Because surrounding the one with the likeness of a human, the one on the throne, God, the divine warrior, is this bursting forth of a rainbow. Now, everyone here, I hope, knows where the rainbow comes from. It comes from Genesis, after the great flood, where the world was so wicked that God decides to wipe out the whole world with the great flood, except for Noah and his family. And after the flood has subsided, the rainbow came right, as a symbol of great hope, a promise of hope and salvation. And this is how the vision ends. 
a great ray, a great shining, glorious hope. So stick with us to the end. Don't just take the next eight weeks off and just come back for the hope bit. All right, we need to see the judgment. We need to understand it so we will see why we have to run to the glory of the hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Gracious and glorious God, we thank you so much for this vision that can't fully capture your glory, yet it does enough for us to be amazed and to be wild and to be astonished of your indescribable glory. We thank you that Ezekiel tried. We thank you that what he did say to us is enough for us to be able to grasp just how magnificent, uh, how glorious you truly are. And as we grasp more of your glory, especially in your Son, the Lord Jesus, who fully represents your glory, we pray that you will grow our value of Jesus, that we might grow in our desire to hear him, to receive his words with faith, repentance, and obedience. Help us because our hearts are often hard. We are often resistant to change. We are resistant to a greater view of your glory. So please help us soften our hearts, open our eyes, open our hearts to receive your word, to receive the glory that you've revealed through your Son. We pray also, Father, as we work through 33 difficult chapters that focuses on judgment, we pray that you'll help us to see the darkness and the yuckiness, the despair, the destruction of judgment, that we may truly understand and appreciate more and more the great hope, the glorious hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus. All this we pray in his name.